This is the Birth, Baby, and Life podcast with Kristen Burgess, and we're hitting the books on our way into episode number 105. Welcome to the Birth, Baby, and Life podcast, the tips, tools, and straight talk you want for pregnancy, childbirth, and bringing up baby. And now your host, Kristen Burgess. Hi, this is Kristen from naturalbirthandbabycare.com. And this week we are back with a topic that was requested by listeners, and it's a topic that's near and dear to my heart. It is a topic that I have never done a podcast or even a blog post on before, at least not on natural birth and baby care, maybe some on a personal blog lost somewhere in the dust of years gone by, but... I've always considered that this topic is maybe not quite fit for natural birth and baby care. But then again, uh, I had somebody ask for it. And the Birth, Baby, and Life podcast covers all of life, including life with the whole family, which sometimes includes older than a baby. So this topic is getting started with homeschooling. How does somebody get started with homeschooling? And I do think it's a good topic to talk about in relation to especially the baby and the toddler years, especially the toddler years, but even in the baby years, because I believe that you can set foundations at that point that carry on into those quote-unquote official school years, and I think you can set good habits and set, set the foundation for lifelong learners, which to me is one of the really important parts of homeschool, but we'll talk a little bit more about that. One of the things that I've been really enjoying that we're doing in the Smart Mama Happy Baby Club right now is we've started doing kind of guided book studies where we go through a book together, um, everybody in the club, and I do a session live on the on the phone once a week that everybody can jump on and we can talk or you can listen to me ruminate on my thoughts and I kind of synthesize what I've read with other things that I know. Anyways, it's been a lot of fun for me and I think it's been beneficial for them. And the book that we're doing is a book called Montessori from the Start. And it's talking about the early years from birth to age three. It's an older book, but it's a really good book, very thought-provoking, and I think very pertinent to parents today. And so that's kind of, my heart's been kind of in examining that early childhood foundation. And my own older kids, I kind of had an interest in Waldorf when they were little, so you'll hear some of that in here. And then just kind of learning through trial and error, uh, being a homeschooling family, my oldest, Cassidy, is almost 15, and she is a ninth grader this year. So we haven't graduated anybody from homeschool yet, but we've been doing it for quite a while at this point, and I've had lots of beginning homeschoolers. So we can jump into that and explore that a little bit more. Um, I think that... When you're thinking, a lot of times I think moms are so excited about homeschooling. I know that I was too, that the tendency is that, oh my goodness, I've got a child who can, you know, maybe take a step. It's time to start looking at homeschooling materials. Or maybe you're you're pregnant right now or your little one is an infant and you know, I'm going to homeschool. And that's really the place that I was at. Um, I was not homeschooled myself. But my mom started homeschooling my brother. I was already in high school and chose to stay in high school, for better or for worse, I guess. Um, If I had had been raised a homeschooler, learning how to learn on my own and be self-directed, and if I could conduct myself the way that I conduct myself now, that probably would have been better for me, but... I went through public school, but I um, I definitely had a heart for homeschooling because my mom homeschooled my brother. We had good friends down the street in our neighborhood who were homeschooled, 
And that just made a big impression upon me. And also, I think that my experiences in the school system overall left a horribly negative impression on me. And I didn't want my kids to go through that. So I was intent on homeschooling right from the beginning. Now, having said that, there was a time when we considered sending uh, our oldest to school. She did actually get accepted into a charter school here in our region. And I think she wanted to go, but I think this was when she was going into the first grade. But I think that the reason that she wanted to go was because she was enamored by the thought of riding on a cool bus and eating in a lunchroom and all of that. You know, uh, a first grader just doesn't really understand the implications of that. And ultimately, I just, um, I think Scott was in favor of it. And, but I just like, I could not settle myself with it. And he came home from work one evening and found me crying about the thought of sending her to school. And he told me then, if it's so important to you, then let's just keep her home. And I called the next day and and told the charter school to give her place to a kid on the waiting list. Um, and I we have never looked back. And I think now that Scott feels like it was the right choice too, even though there are definitely times when I think to myself, maybe it would be easier if I sent all these kids off to school and had a little bit of time to myself. But then I have friends who tell me, no, I never get a moment's rest even though my kids are in school because there's just so much logistically with that. So anyways, I just share that with you to share my story that we've thought about it, but we never actually have had any of our kids in school. And uh, it's always been homeschooling, and our homeschooling has looked different over the years. And I'll kind of tell you a little bit about that as I go through the topics that we're going to cover on today's podcast. So again, I was one of those moms who was, you know, pregnant. I'm definitely going to homeschool. So I was looking at that right from the beginning. And when Cassidy was like a baby, there were not terribly many homeschool options. When my mom was homeschooling my brother, there were definitely not many options. When Cassidy was a baby, there were more, but it still hadn't reached the incredible saturation point that it has now, and we're going to come back to that. But I think that one of the tendencies when you're little, when your kids are little and you're considering homeschooling is, oh my goodness, I need to map all this out, and I need to plan this out, and we need to get started. And really, I don't think that you need any sort of formalized curriculum or anything with your baby or with your toddler. I do think this is a good time to start exploring different philosophies of homeschooling, different methodologies of homeschooling. Uh, Like I mentioned in Smart Mama Happy Baby, we're going through Montessori from the start, which is from a Montessori perspective, so the authors are probably thinking you're going to send your child to a Montessori school, but there are many Montessori-inspired homeschools, and of course, it's talking all about the environment and the home. If you're interested in doing that book study with us, we're we're going to be in Chapter 2 next week, so we haven't gotten terribly far into it. You can jump into that by joining us at smartmamahappybaby.com. And I can tell you a little bit more about that at the end of the call, more of what you get with Smart Mama Happy Baby. But again, um, you know, reading books like that, there are uh, books from a Waldorf perspective that I think that a parent should, I think these are good books to read through. You might decide immediately that they don't resonate with you, but I think that being exposed to these ideas is a good thing. And one of the things that I think is beneficial about picking up a broad range of these books and looking at them in a short period of time is that your brain starts to kind of take the ideas and synthesize them and say, these are similarities, these are differences, these are things that feel right to me, these are things that don't. Um, And kind of you get to pick the best of both worlds, which you definitely have the luxury of doing. 
with uh, with a young child, and so and then most of them also have early years writing. So again, um, Montessori from the start for Montessori. I'm looking kind of looking at my bookshelf. Um, for Waldorf, You Are Your Child's First Teacher by Rahima Baldwin Dancy, and also Heaven on Earth. And I cannot remember the name of the author from Heaven on Earth. Um, so you'll have to look that up, but you can find it. It's got the cover of it. It's kind of a square book. The cover of it has like a kind of black and little stars and I think there's like a chain of children holding hands but they might just be like white silhouette and that's that is an excellent book to read too um I think that exploring Charlotte Mason is good Montessori and Waldorf don't really have much like a set faith base really they both feel very strongly that there's a spiritual element to our being as humanity and you'll see that in them, I would say. I mean, I think that it's really strong in Montessori. They're very upfront about saying it. I think that it's a little bit more defined in Waldorf in that they do some things. There, Rudolf Steiner was the founder of Waldorf, and um, he had some, like, he kind of had this spiritual thing called, it's been a while since I've read about it. I think it's anthropophasy or anthroposy. I don't remember exactly how you pronounce it. But, um,. But anyways, that's that's in some Waldorf classrooms. It wasn't something that ever felt right to me for my family. So we just kind of left that aspect out. But, you know, you'll see like mention of holidays and things like that in Waldorf. I'm not sure if that's in Montessori as much because I'm just studying Montessori for myself. But anyways, um, Charlotte Mason's work is uh, is more from like a Judeo-Christian viewpoint for sure. So that's there, but I, I one of the things that I found really interesting reading Charlotte Mason's thoughts on child development and Montessori's is that these women came from two different, very different backgrounds, two very different parts of Europe, but a lot of stuff is really similar and overlaps in similar ways. So it's interesting to read. So um, I'm trying to remember, For the Children's Sake is a good book to read. It's a pretty thin book, but... It's very meaty. That's a good book to kind of get an introduction to Charlotte Mason. Um, there's one called A Charlotte Mason Companion and some others. But For the Children's Sake, I really think is very inspiring. Um, then you can read, I mean, you can read books on all kinds of different methods, like unschooling and other different thoughts on homeschooling. I mean, I would even recommend like a good basic book, and I don't have a title off the top of my head, but I can look for one for you to put in the show notes. So something like just an overview of different homeschooling methods or a dummy's guide to homeschooling, because there are so many different schools of thought that you might want to look look at that broad overview to kind of get a feeling where you want to go with it. And I think that the toddler years are a good, good time for that. I would urge you not to necessarily be married to a particular curriculum, and we'll come back and talk about this in a minute again. But it's a good time to get a feel for what are the underlying theories of child development, the underlying theories of the point of the childhood years. So, for instance, if they think that the point of the childhood 
childhood years is to academically prepare a child to exceed in college and then go get a job in the workforce, which is kind of what the public schools are going for. But that might that might not necessarily be what you want. Montessori's focus is kind of to prepare a child who can be independent and who is ready to turn around and help serve um, fellow human beings in the world. So again, it's just kind of getting a feel for that underlying philosophy. Now is a good time to do that when your child is a baby or a toddler or even during pregnancy if you want to be thinking about these things. From a practical perspective, though, in the toddler years, I don't really think it's necessary to follow a curriculum or anything. I really think that in the toddler years, um, this is a time to be thinking about what you want to do and letting your child be free to explore. And there are certainly things that you might pull in. Um, So from Waldorf, you might pull in crafts or you might pull in some of the early Montessori activity ideas or child development ideas. You might pull in from Charlotte Mason nature walks are really important in Charlotte Mason. So those are different things that you might pull in and weave into your day. But really, early childhood is you are really weaving a rhythmic day for your children. And this is something that I I did really well for my older kids. I don't feel like I do it as well for my younger kids just because we're caught up in a stage of life that's tough. And I'll talk about this more in a minute too. But I just don't feel like I give my older kids or my younger kids as much guidance. And right now I think that's okay in a sense because we're, as I'm recording this, we're at the tail end of summer. So the weather is still good. They're able to spend much of their time outside. And I think there's inherent value in that. But if they're inside more, and especially when winter comes and we're buried under much snow and they aren't going to spend quite as much time outside, I'm definitely going to have to be more intentional about guiding their day. This is something I talk about a lot. I actually have a dedicated course about it in Smart Mama Happy Baby. Like a, There's like 25 different classes as of the time of this recording. I'm always recording more each month. But one of those classes is on rhythm. And that's in Smart Mama Happy Baby. And what I talk about is just not necessarily establishing a set rigid schedule, though that works pretty well for my family because there's so many people in the family, but more of just a rhythm to the day. And a good resource for learning more about this uh, is from Donna Simmons and Christophorus Homeschool. She is coming from a Waldorf perspective, but all of her materials are written for homeschoolers. And she has a section on her website called The Early Years. And I actually have a guest article on there. But she, there's lots of resources. And she also has, um, she's got an ebook that she put together. She had a private forum for a while, which I was a member of. This is many years ago. And I found it very helpful. And she kind of pulled together this ebook from posts on the forum and topics that came up and were really on mother's hearts about the early years. And she talks a lot about kind of having a rhythm and routine to your day. And she's got plenty of free articles, too. And that, (coughs) excuse me, is a really important thing, I think, to build into your child's day and life is this sense of order. Not only is it important, I think, for as we think about eventual schooling and learning, but it's also very comforting to your child to have a daily routine. So that is a good thing to focus on is that, you know, we eat breakfast and then we clean up from breakfast and then we go for a walk outside and then we come back in and we read some stories and then you have a little bit of playtime while mama writes. 
or crafts or whatever. And then, um, then we have a snack and you know so the the day just kind of flows naturally and your toddler knows what to expect and one of the things that we talk about in the in the class in smart mama happy baby is that there's a daily rhythm there's generally a weekly rhythm um sometimes there's a monthly rhythm you know because there's a rhythm to the weekends and things and then there's also an annual or yearly rhythm which is something that's nicely emphasized in waldorf and in waldorf it's usually emphasized with the rhythm of the year being seasonal and also holidays coming from a judeo-christian background or at least i would say really from a traditional christian background because it's christian holidays but you can change those to adapt to whatever holidays fit you national holidays or whatever your religious background is um just but having that rhythm of the year year after year after year is very comforting to children so again those are things to think about intentionally and to begin kind of building and creating those rhythms those traditions those rituals around things like holidays for your kids when they're young and that's that is a really important thing. Let's jump back to curriculum. And then I'll give you some cautions about being afraid and then and some p- final thoughts on how you can build up to schooling from the early years and what's really important. But when we think about curriculum, like I mentioned earlier, it is overwhelming the variety of options. When we first started homeschooling, um, with when I had only little kids, it was very loose. I, I used a um, guide from Donna Simmons, which is called Kindergarten with your three to six-year-old. I think I have it on the bookshelf over there. I can't see it right now. Um, and then she has a supplementary book called Joyful Movement, which is actually geared towards a little bit of older kids. But just lots of good ideas in there. And I really used her ideas for our simple daily life. And then at that time, we had a library that had beautiful, wonderful books, and I would check out books and read them out loud to the kids, and they also had some little kits that you could bring home, like there was one that was a little water pump that you could put in the sink and help the kids see a water pump, basically like little science exploration kits for preschoolers, and I would check one of those out every week or two, and we would do that, and that was pretty much, our homeschool really mostly revolved around stories and some crafts here and there and working in the kitchen and and with life. And that worked very well for me. When we started schooling more formally, I did start, I also used Christophorus materials. And that's really what I used with Cassidy. A little bit with Asher um, when they were like Cassidy's first grade, second grade. And, uh, and I think one of the big gifts that Waldorf gave me and that I've seen over and over again, too, is don't worry so much if your child is slow on reading. Now, Asher, my second, taught himself to read at like age five. But Cassidy was a slow reader, and uh, and it gave me confidence to have support in knowing that that was normal. And now, in the ninth grade, you would never know that she had been a quote-unquote slow reader. In fact, we're using a very literature-based curriculum right now, and she does very well with it. But anyways, so again, we used that, we used the Christophorus curriculum for the first grade, and then I got it for the second grade, and I kind of started Asher with the work, um, but... I ended up pregnant with Honor in those early years, and I had a really hard pregnancy with her. And I was just not being able to keep up with the amount of parent preparation that was required to to do these multiple grade levels with that curriculum. And so I ended up going to something really that looked more like traditional schooling, which was pretty much just textbook-based. And I felt like that worked really well. Um... And that's actually what we used up until just about a year, 
a year or so ago when I was starting to hear groans and grumbles from my kids that they didn't want to do their textbook work, that they thought it was boring, and that was basically sending up red flags for me because I don't want my kids to think that learning is boring. And that's when I started digging back in and looking again and also really realizing the overwhelming variety of choices that there were out there. Um, So I thought about my kids and their needs and also the resources that we have. For example, the history curriculum that we chose is TruthQuest History. Uh, I really love it. And it's very much a literature-based history curriculum, also from a Judeo-Christian perspective. The commentary in it is fabulous, and my kids have really thrived on it. But one of the reasons why I picked it is because the author is local to us. And that's a pretty cool resource to have. So uh, that that went into my, I mean, I think it would be good for anyone anywhere in the country or anywhere in the world, but that was one of the things that influenced my decision um, for using that. Other things that have influenced my decision is like my beliefs, my worldviews, again, what my goals in education are, and we'll talk more about that. I just think that those things are really important for you to think about. Don't pick a homeschooling curriculum just because your friend says that it works for her. I mean, certainly look at it, but consider what are their end goals for the child and what are your end goals for the child. And when you start to feel that out, which is one of the reasons why I recommended that you, you know, you do that reading of those books. Now, you can pick something that resonates with you. Again, I mean, I could list out everything that we use, everything that we have ever used. I've been pretty pleased with everything that we've ever used. There's been a few things that just haven't worked for us. But overall, I've been really pleased and I felt like what we've used it at different times um, was helpful to us. But I don't necessarily know that it's going to work for you. One thing that was an abysmal failure for my family was trying to do more of an unschooling thing without much parental oversight. Sometimes it's called delight-led learning. That just did not work for us. But I know that for some families it does work. I think um, if we had started with that from the start and if we had put some things in place to really foster that personal driven, willing to look into it kind of thing, that maybe that would have worked. But I, and we don't even have Game Boys, but I think that my kids, you know, demonstrated more of that tendency when we tried a semester of unschooling towards. If I had had a Game Boy, I would have spent the entire semester playing Game Boy. And I've seen some families that have had kids that are like bright, vivacious, busy, unschoolers, always doing something, might play Game Boy here and there, but you know, they're busy about life and learning. And I've seen some unschooling families where the kids play Game Boy all day. And I think you have to gauge yourself, uh, your kids, and maybe there's a little bit of grooming or or habit forming is maybe a better word that goes on in the younger years if you're going to build to that. But again, I think it's worth exploring all these philosophies. Um, I also think one thing that you should do is realize that all of the curriculum manufacturers or writers or, I mean, because, you know, you can go buy curriculum from independent moms. I bought a nature study guide that was just written by another mom, and that's been working for us. You know, it's not necessarily coming from a big company, or it may be. We use our math book. We still use math books. Same math book we've used, and that comes from a more traditional publisher. So... You know, you might use a mix. You might use an eclectic mix. You don't necessarily have to stick to one thing. Just look at what is their end goal. And remember, they're going to paint everything as unicorns and roses and rainbows. They want you to be attracted by their curriculum. 
Um, and, you know, realize that when you read it and, and realize that you're probably not going to hit those ideal homeschooling days that you're picturing in your mind. But if you if you pick a curriculum, you can consider it more carefully. Like one one thing to consider, too, is how much freedom do you want? What do you want to do? Like, for instance, in many areas in my state, we could go with a homeschool uh, that is completely paid for because it's a public school, but your kids can do it from home. We could do that, um, and it would do video schooling and video classes and teacher accountability and everything for our kids. But one of the reasons why we opted out of the public school is because we don't believe in some of the values and things that they teach in the public school. Um, again, I said it earlier, I think public schools are teaching our kids to be ready for college and then to kind of take jobs in corporate America um, and to be politically correct, but not necessarily to think for themselves. Now, that changes from school to school. I've got beloved friends and family members who have chosen to put their kids in school and feel like either those aren't there in their school or they can overcome that at home. And I have complete respect for that. But for my family, I feel very strongly about this. And I feel very strongly that in order to best serve my children and help them grow and develop uh, to be able to think for themselves, I need to not have them in the school system. Now, I do hope that they grow up and think sort of like me. I have biases, and I do indeed. I want them to not get some of my bad habits, <laughs> but I want, I would like to see them, you know, share my belief structure for sure. There's no reason to hide that. I want them to have my belief structure and not that of a government schooling system. But, anyways, you want to look at all curriculums in those lights, look at what the freedom is. Also, you may be attracted, like for instance, for the, for the grand chunk of our work, it comes from one curriculum source. So all of our grammar, um, all of our kind of writing stuff, all of our science, all of the stuff that I do with my little ones, um, all of that stuff comes from one curriculum. And then we kind of have added on math from the more traditional publisher just because it's what we've used it's what works well Scott actually teaches math so he likes the textbooks so those work well for our family and then we use the history from a different source and occasionally I'll bring in resources from here and there um, like the literature list that I use is from an, an online homeschooling program which is free called charlottemason.com um, or not it is based on Charlotte Mason it's Ambleside online um, and I, I don't use them exclusively, though. I honestly think it would be a great choice. And if I were starting over again, I might seriously consider it. Um, the main program that we use, just because I know I'll get asked, is called Homeschooling Torah. And it is from kind of a messianic Jewish perspective. And that's what we use for English writing, um, Bible, little ones, preschool activities, um, science, pretty much PE. It's got everything in it. And but we we add on Ambleside Online literature. We use we use Abeka Math in case I'm asked that, and we also use TruthQuest for the history portion. I did try and do a little bit of combination with history, but I gave up on it. Just use the TruthQuest because it's easier. Though with the Ambleside Online Literature, some of those books are historical or crossover into other genres. And I and like there's a lot of uh, living books, science books that they recommend. So, um, so you know those will come into my kids' reading as well as they're doing their reading assignments. But it's not part of their so-called curriculum. It's more part of their reading. Anyways, so that, you know, I, as you can see, I do have a little bit of a mix. And it would be easier just to take one of those, for instance, um, 
you know, all ABECA's curriculum, because they have a full curriculum line, all Ambleside Online, all Homeschooling Torah, and use just theirs, it might make it a little bit easier. But I, I value that ability to pull in and to mix and match and to really get what's going to fit well for my family. So that, again, um, and I guess this segues nicely into what I wanted to talk about next, which is don't be afraid when you're homeschooling. So one of the things that I wanted to encourage you is don't be afraid to change something that's not working. Like I said, my kids were utterly bored with their textbook-based history and science, and I was seeing like those sparks go out, and that's not what I want. And uh, and our history, when it's like led by living books, so living books is a term kind of coined by Charlotte Mason, which means books that pull you in and are interesting. They're not like the dry um, drivel that mostly passes for children's literature today and not like the boring dry passages that make up textbooks and readers and things in school. We're talking about like real books. Um, You know, when you think about books, you probably think of things like good quality books, like older books, like the Chronicles of Narnia, the Lord of the Rings trilogy, um, Gulliver's Travels, Treasure Island, Howard Pyle writes kind of adventurous books for boys like he wrote King Arthur and his Knights. Just these books that kind of draw you in and are really quality quality books that give you insight uh, for us like reading them in it for in the context of our history they give you insight into that historical period there's some historical fiction and then there's also some that are meant to be more educational more like a history book but they're written in a narrative kind of style so they're much more story-like and they're compelling and interesting for the child to read and that's you know that is that's been really that's living literature and that's really appealing like for galen first second grade some of the things that we read were like peter pan saint george and the dragon pinocchio the boxcar children um all the little house books would be considered living literature and uh and again i've already mentioned for my own for for the whole family we're doing chronicles of narnia read alouds here and there but for my older kids um we're reading aloud the hobbit and lord of the rings trilogy so you know just this stuff that we think about as classic quality children's literature that inspires the mind that would be a living book um but again so don't be afraid to change like i saw that my kids were their their fires of learning were dying and i wasn't about to sacrifice my kids love of learning on the altar of getting through a textbook so now i give a caveat to that in a minute but um because there's always a caveat. That's one of the things I'm learning in life. But again, you know, just look at what works. What ignites that spark in your child? And how can you ignite that spark? And I, I just, again, I encourage you to really read and, um, and and look for what ignites that spark in you and what you feel fits with your with your child. And if you try something and it doesn't work, don't be afraid to change. Don't be afraid to be flexible. Don't be afraid to do what works for you, even if it's different than what everybody else is doing. I mean, I would say that my homeschooling style looks different than what anybody else in my homeschooling co-op is using. And for instance, we don't go to homeschooling co-op days. Sometimes I think that my, my kids, especially my older kids, would really like that just because it would be more of a peer basis for them but it just doesn't work for my family and so we do our homeschooling at home you might find that co-op days really work well for you so what you do should resonate with you another thing not to be afraid of is don't be afraid of others or what they think 
again, in your homeschooling co-op with people around you. I think that one of the things, the cliches that homeschoolers hear is, what about socialization? And I just like, I could laugh at that nowadays. I do have one child who I would say is particularly painfully socially awkward, but that's his personality. It's not homeschooling because he's surrounded by, you know, five other siblings. I won't count Sadie quite yet because she's still a little nervous about strangers, but she's only 19 months old. You know, but he's surrounded by five other siblings who are vivacious and bright and outgoing socially. So that's really just his, you know, that's him. That's his personality. And you're going to have, and one of the things with homeschooling is you have to kind of work things around personalities. I would say we use the same curriculum for all of our kids, but certainly the way that we teach them and get lessons through to them varies for each child because they're individual. So that's something to be aware of if you're um, schooling multiple kids. They're going to have different needs, different things going on. Um, different ages and stages, so to speak. But don't be afraid of what others say. You know, don't be afraid of that socialization equation. If you're getting your child out, um, my kids do very well with people of all kinds of ages, which is something I think is valuable. But there are programs they can go to, library programs, um, homeschooling groups, and that's good, I think, for finding friends. But I also think there are many volunteer opportunities where they can learn to serve the community, to be part of their community, to interact with other people of many ages, maybe to learn some valuable lessons by helping people in their misfortune and seeing some consequences of bad choices, seeing how we can um, minister to and serve people. And this could be in a religious sense or in a totally secular sense. I mean, just ministering to people's needs and being there for them. Those are opportunities that homeschool families can have and can take and can make and create. So most of the arguments against uh, socialization aspect are totally bunk. And then, of course, you probably realize that most of the accus- accusations from an academic viewpoint are totally bunk because I think enough of us have seen the statistics prove that wrong. Now, I do think that some people will express to you, well, you know, you're indoctrinating your child. You're not giving them a fair and unbiased education. And you can look them in the eye and tell them, well, sure. I don't want them to go get a biased education in the public school. And we don't have time. Again, I I touched on this already. We don't have time to dive into all of it. But no schooling is without bias. Your child is like a book with blank pages, and uh, and you choose who writes on those pages, but they're going to get written on. You cannot keep them from getting written on. So, you know, you can look people straight in the eye and say, yeah, I want the chance to influence my child's thoughts, to influence my child's love of learning, to influence my child's course of education and worldview. I value that, and they're my child. I'm their parent. They were given to me for a reason. Um, And I do believe that we can teach our children to be balanced, or even if we teach them to hold strong convictions, to still be willing to be open, to listen to other people, and again, to meet those needs that other people have, to be part of a community, and still hold strong beliefs. I think that one of the lies of modern life is that we have to be totally neutral in everything, because then um, then what what does anything stand for? Anyways, that's a totally separate conversation. But again, don't be afraid of the comments of others when what when you choose what you do. Okay, so some just final thoughts. 
and I've, I've really touched on this, I guess it kind of became the theme throughout the podcast episode, but what's next in my notes is to focus on what's really important to you. And I think, again, that's, that is one of the cruxes. That's one of the keys. You want to look at what is important to me to teach my child. What is important to me? For me, it's that my kids have a love of learning. It's that they be able to be independent. It's that they love reading. And also, I want to impart upon them my worldview. Now, like I said, I haven't graduated any kids yet. I don't have any adult children yet, so I can't really evaluate how successful I've been. And some days I feel like I'm doing a horrible job. But I think that overall, I've got a good chance to help um, open my child's minds, discuss with them, give them a love of learning, and everything like that. Now, one of the things, and I kind of wanted to talk about this on more detail, but we're already getting close to the 40-minute mark, so I'll try not to take too long on it. But again, coming back to like you early years, thoughts uh, or the early years parenting thoughts is thoughts on building up and some things that I think that I've learned from my schooling um, I think it's good to teach children to be able to sit and listen to a story and I think it's good to be able to teach children to focus attention this is one of the things that I've seen interestingly cross in reading of Charlotte Mason's methods, reading of Montessori methods, especially both of them really kind of emphasize this in the young child in different ways, but that mesh very nicely, at least in my mind. And one of the things that I think is important is realizing the limitations that our young children have, but also realizing that this is an excellent chance for us to give them habits that make them successful lifelong. For instance, the ability to focus, or um, as Montessori from the start said in the book, get in kind of this state of flow that's something we think about positively right when we think about getting in that place of flow whether you're thinking about working or running or crafting or whatever you think about when you hit that place where you're in that that zone and you're hitting your flow that's positive okay so teaching children to be able to hold attention on something i think we have kind of a negative connotation with that when we think about like school and they're making our kids sit in a desk for eight hours or whatever that's negative to most of us but when we frame it like we want to help our kids get in the flow it suddenly becomes positive so this is this is a good skill to think about teaching early on this is a good concept to think about so um and this is one of the things this this is something i've just explored uh while reading all these books and stuff and this is something that i can see where uh where i did it right like when we had more of a textbook perspective we kind of hit on this unintentionally and when we moved away from textbooks a year and a half ago or so um, I lost it and it ended up with a frustration even though I felt like I had picked a superior learning method so what textbooks did for us was I had a schedule written out and we had like 30 minutes per subject for seat work on the textbooks and my kids knew because I I guess because I held that inner expectation they knew that they needed to get done with their textbook in that period of time with the seat work that they were that they were assigned in that period of time and then it was done it was over and our school days flowed pretty nicely not to say we never had interruptions because life has interruptions not to say we never got a little bit behind because that happened but in general things went very very smoothly and then when we switched to like this lovely wonderful more open and flowing and literature-based curriculum 
suddenly schoolwork wasn't getting done and at the end of the day I was frustrated and my little kids wouldn't you know I sat down to read to them because finally I'm going to be reading to them again every day and they wouldn't they wouldn't listen and and it was just so frustrating and then as I was doing more study and reading more into different methodologies um, and reading like about flow from like the Montessori perspective and then also reading from Charlotte Mason's perspective about how you build attention in children with short chunks of activity. It, it, it was like a light bulb went off for me. And I, and so what Charlotte Mason discusses is have short lesson times, which sounds counterintuitive to developing attention, but it's really quite brilliant. So this is, I guess this is why I want to leave you with it is because I'm excited about it. But so you have a short period of time and with a little child, it might be really short. We're going to sit down and read five minutes of a story, but you want them to sit and to focus on the story in those five minutes. Um, or we're going to have, and then as they get better, we're going to listen for 10 minutes and then we're going to listen through this entire book that we're reading or a story. Maybe you want to go with Waldorf and orally tell the stories that you've memorized and internalized yourself. Or maybe you want to read, you know, like a, a beautiful quality children's picture book to them. And you just, you want, you have these pictures of your children looking at you enchanted. Or you want them to be able to sit and listen to a chapter in a chapter book like Peter Pan or something. Um, so you start in small increments and you expect that they will sit and listen for that small increment and then they're free to go you can have your nature walk or they can go outside and play and you would use this same principle even when you've got you know like a young elementary or lower schooler who you want them to sit and do their math well you want them to sit and they work on their math intently for 10 minutes you expect that in those 10 minutes they're going to sit and do the work they're not going to dawdle they're not going to daydream they're not going to look around and again, you start in small increments. And then with math, I would say you work up to about half an hour for elementary school. And then once my kids get into upper elementary and middle school, sometimes they need 45 minutes for math, occasionally longer if it's a concept that they're really uh, struggling with, which happens. But, you know, especially in those early days and with those little ones, you know, there's a short period of time when you're having their attention and then long periods of time where they're free to run and play outside or explore or dress up or, you know, playing with Legos or Duplos or any of those sorts of things that little ones love. So, the, you know, those times that they're doing the work are relatively short, but you never let them develop the habit of dawdling or having their attention wander or whatever. And you don't have to be mean about it. That's why you build up in small chunks. It's just matter of fact. But what you're teaching them is when I sit down to do this work, when I sit down to do this, listen to this story or read this book or do this writing or do this math or whatever, um, or from like a Montessori perspective, do whatever the Montessori activity is or even just a part of it, you're teaching them focus completely on this, engage with this, get into that state of flow, and then when you're done, you can disconnect and you can go do what you want to do. And it just builds beautiful habits that help your child in, in school and then help your child in life later on for when you're doing something like getting into the flow um, and needing to, to be in the flow. So again, that's I guess that's kind of like a little tip on how you would build up 
a habit for one aspect of a habit that you want to foster and nurture in your child and just think about all the wonderful times that you can have. This is what I love is in the evenings, you know, cuddling up in the chair or on the couch with my kids and just reading stories, a story targeted for the little ones, then send them to bed, read uh, another bit of a chapter for the older ones. So we all enjoy as a family, the lower level book, get to enjoy that time of, um, togetherness with the older ones too it's just very very nice it's a wonderful thing and I think that's you know when we think about homeschooling even from the early years it's creating little habits and that desire to learn that desire to listen that desire to be spellbound that ability to get into the flow and then to thinking about what's important to you are places that are good to start when you're thinking about homeschooling even from the very beginning so those are some thoughts that I had on this topic. Again, if if you guys want to get into more details or more particulars or dig into an issue or you've got a particular question, you can always shoot me an email and let me know that you want to explore this topic more on future podcast episodes, and we can definitely do that. So if this one's worked well for you guys, let me know. Remember, always head over to Stitcher or iTunes or um, into the Google Music Store and let people know what you think about the podcast. Leave me a review. Let me know what you liked. You can leave constructive feedback too if you want to. I like the I like the good feedback more like any other person, but I'm willing to listen to it all. So take a minute um, and just leave some feedback because that gets the podcast out to more families, which I think benefits mamas, babies, daddies, big sisters, big brothers, little sisters, little brothers all over the world. Um, before we go, I did promise you that I would tell you a little bit more about Smart Mama Happy Baby. You can find out all the details at smartmamahappybaby.com. But like I said, right now we're doing the weekly book study with a Montessori book. We'll probably go to a, to another book that touches on some aspect of child development after that. Um, plus we have our full classes. We've got 25 plus classes in the library right now covering pregnancy topics, covering baby topics, covering toddler topics, covering mothering topics, all in there and in between. Those are full hour to two hour long classes or even longer for some of the mini class series like the, the how to get your kid to sleep series. Um, there's handouts with those. There's full color slides, further resources, all kinds of things that you would need uh on your parenting journey. Plus we do the weekly call where we talk about the book study and then we also have an open Q&A every week where you can come live on the line. You can ask me about whatever is on your mind, whatever's going on, regardless of if it's related to the book study or one of the classes. If you need help getting your little one to sleep, if you need help with nursing, if you need help with setting up a routine, if you need help figuring out how to integrate a new baby, if you need help figuring out how to manage the house, all of those things and more are welcome to talk about on the weekly Q&A call. Plus, we've got menu plans, um, articles of interest, just a whole lot more going on there in the Smart Mama Happy Baby member area. You can check that out at smartmamahappybaby.com. With that, I'm going to let you go. I will talk to you next week, and I hope that this week you have a blessed week. Thanks for listening to the Birth, Baby, and Life podcast with Kristen Burgess. For great resources and tons more info, visit www.birthbabylife.com. Visit www.birthbabylife.com.